it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast, And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. Well, hey, guys. Hey, guys. It's episode... Oh, hang on, hang on. I can do this. 2-2-D-6. Okay, 2-2-D-6. Okay, I couldn't figure it out there. Yeah. Yep. You you knew what I was doing. Oh, I knew what you were doing. Oh, man. Wow. I know you and I know your body, so... Yeah, I don't know why we... I missed it in the 100s, so we'll we'll get the tooties, the turdies, the farties. Yes. Back. And the shitties. Oh. Okay, that was gross. I tried. I tried. I tried. That was gross. Well, we got another wild one for you. Yeah, she's a wild one. With No, she doesn't have Angel's face. No. No, but she is a wild one. I would say so. Not in a good way. No. No. Faith would not be singing about her at all. No. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Shall we get some trigger warnings? Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for asking. No. Oh. Yeah. Just kidding. Ha, ha, ha. Okay. So, here are the trigger warnings. Murder, stabbing, false sexual assault accusations, and abortion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we want to give a Hey Girl thanks to Steph for requesting this case. Yes. And thank you so much to Mark for writing it up. Yes. All right. You want to you wanna launch right into it? I think we should. Yeah. March 22nd, 2018, after getting a weird feeling regarding his ex-girlfriend, Jason Mangle went to his friend Alex Woodworth's house to check in on him. Ezra McCandless is the ex in question, and she told Jason she had some personal items to return to Alex since they were friends as well. And once at Alex's house, Jason saw the two talking and a passerby called the police when they saw Jason pacing back and forth in front of the apartment. After the police showed up and talked with everyone, they determined that there was no issue and left along with Jason. And that was unfortunately the last time anyone besides Ezra saw Alex alive. Eek. Uh, yeah, eek the cat, come on. Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, you guys, before we jump into today's case, we just want to let you know we have so much more content available for you. Oh my gosh, where is this content? Okay, so it's on our Patreon, which is kind of like a little membership you can get. You throw us a few bones, you get a bunch of extra content, keep the lights on over here. It's like win, 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 win. Love it. So tomorrow, our murder mixtape drops, and we're covering the murder of Erica Parsons. And this is a horrific story of child abuse that ended in murder at the hands of two real lint lickers. 
No. And I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the language. I am, but I had to say it. I mean, you know what? I'm not I'm not even going to hold it against you because they are really lint lickers. Mhm. Yeah. I can't believe you said it too. I know. I know, but it had to be said. On Friday, we drop our first episode of The Way Down. So this is a docu-series on HBO. And so we're covering uh, episode by episode, which is part of our doc jams. And so this is like kicking off. And oh my gosh, this is a religious cult local to us. I had no idea about it until we started watching this uh, documentary. It is absolutely wild. 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 And of course, Sunday, we drop our weekly catch-up episode. We lovingly call it the T to the fourth power Y, some time to talk to you. We also refer to it as the titty, where we just gab about life, what's going on, fun stuff. Literally, nothing is off limits. We love it. Yeah. And you know what's If you join the Patreon now, you get everything ad-free, all of these episodes. This episode you're listening to now, you can get it without the ads. But also, you don't just get like what we're dropping that week. You get everything we've ever dropped before. So we drop four to five episodes a week, four episodes a week here. And then we have the Spotify live show too, which you can go check out on Spotify called True Crime Rewind. But you get all of those to download and binge. You've got hundreds of episodes like bam, like that. Wow. Yeah. So go to patreon.com slash killerqueenspod to join in on the fun. And if you want to make sure that you never miss an episode, please join our email list. You can visit killerqueens.link slash email to join the list and be the first to know about fun happenings. There's a ton of stuff on these emails. Oh my gosh, they're amazing. You don't want to miss them. Yes. And uh, I think that's it. Now we can we can get on to the case. So around 4.15 in the afternoon on March 22nd, 2018, dairy farmer Don Sipple was getting ready to sit down for dinner when there was a commotion on his porch. He heard pounding on the door, and when he went to look, he found 20-year-old Ezra McCandless there begging to be let in, begging for help. Don described Ezra as having dried blood around her mouth. She also wasn't wearing any shoes, and she was, like, covered in mud all the way up to her knees. It was... A mess. He said his cl- her clothes were tattered and torn. She was bruised and battered. Don brought her into his home and gave her a blanket to try to warm her up because it's very cold outside. Don's farm is in the small town of Springbrook, Wisconsin, which is about 15 miles or so west of Eau Claire. Eau Claire was much larger than Springbrook, with a population of just under 70,000, according to the 2020 census. For Don, having someone come out to his farm was an anomaly. Like, unless you know Don and are coming out there to be like, hey, Don, how's your mom and them? Like, you're not going to stop there. Right. So it's like weird that somebody would approach his home on this farm. Well, yeah, if it was me on a farm like that and I heard a commotion on my porch, I'd be like, what in tarnation? Exactly. At this air. Yeah. Yep. But then, you know, like, let alone somebody who, like, is injured and needs help. Um, Mm -hmm. It's pretty crazy. So after Dawn gets her settled, he said she looked like she was freezing but really in shock. And she told him that she'd been assaulted. And so Dawn grabs the phone and calls 911. And on the call, he says, I have a young lady that just came to my house and somebody attacked her. When police arrived, Ezra kept saying she was scared, and when they asked her where she was hurt, she just said all over. And while they're talking to her, she just keeps asking them. She's like, call Jason Mingle, call Jason Mingle, call Jason Mingle. Hmm. And they're like, well, who in tarnation is Jason Mingle? (laughs) They're not from Tennessee. No, they're not. 
they don't have this accent, but no, we're they doing sure don't. it anyway. Yeah. We're making everyone be Southern when they're absolutely not Southern. So, yeah. and you know, I mean, up until this point, you're like, okay. I mean, Don Zippel did everything that he needed to do. And I think that the last name Sippel is adorable, but he's thinking that she is the victim here and he's trying to make sure that she's okay. Right? Right. Ezra McCandless was born Monica Kay. When she was born, her mother was 14 years old. Can you imagine 14? No, absolutely not. I mean, I'm going to be honest. I didn't, I don't think I could have on my own completed the act of love. Coitus. Yeah. At 14, I didn't know where anything went. No, same. Yeah. But I just think about me at 14 and God, I mean, you're a child yourself having a child. Yes. That is that's hard. Incredibly hard. Um, And her biological father had no part in her life. When Ezra was four years old, she was adopted by her stepdad, but her mom and stepdad divorced when she was 12. After the divorce, Ezra continued to have a close relationship with her father, and it was during high school that Ezra started to try to—she was trying out different names, different pronouns, and she eventually settled on Ezra McCandless. She legally changed her name from Monica Kay, and she chose the last name McCandless after Chris McCandless. The We've talked about this in another case. Mm-hmm. It's the book and film Into the Wild are both based on Chris McCandless. After she graduated from high school, Ezra moved from Stanley, Wisconsin to Eau Claire. And in Eau Claire, Ezra first met Jason Mingle towards the end of the summer of 2017. Jason is a, a medic with the Army Reserve, and he said that from the moment he met Ezra, he loved her, despite the wide age gap. And at the time, when they met, he was 33 and she was just 19. But he mm. said that she kept him energized and on his toes, and he described himself and Ezra as both being spur of the moment and that she was full of surprises. She was an amateur artist who did, many described as someone who liked to draw attention to herself, and she actually used her car as a canvas and painted all over this car. I mean, I guess that's kind of cool, but... It's funny that people described her as wanting attention because, like, nothing could be more spot on. Mm -hmm. I mean, the things that she goes on to do. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. She doesn't care what kind of attention is on her. It has to be on her. Any attention is good attention, I think, for her. Exactly. So Jason and Ezra grew grew closer and closer, and they talked about marriage. They referred to one another as husband and wife, and they could be found many days at Racy's Coffee Shop. It's a popular local coffee shop in Eau Claire. And it was at Racy's that they met 23-year-old Alex Woodworth. He was a barista at Racy's, and he was also a substitute teacher. And Alex had a Bachelor of Science from the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire with a major in philosophy and a minor in biology. Alex had started to apply to graduate schools to get his PhD in philosophy, and he really wanted to become a philosophy professor. Jason described Alex as one of the nicest people he's ever met and a big nerd. And he says this in, it's not, he wasn't calling him a nerd in a mean way. It was like an endearing, like loving way. And Mm -hmm. I can relate because some of my most favorite people in the entire world, I don't know if I'd call him quirky, nerdy, whatever, because that's who we are, I think. And yeah, the term nerd, I feel like everybody is a nerd. They just nerd out on different things. You know what I mean? But yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it wasn't, he wasn't doing it to be mean. So um, he was also described as a deep thinker and took his goal of becoming a professor very seriously. And Jason said that Alex would always have a philosophy book with him or be researching a new book to read on the same topic. 
Alex was the oldest of four, and according to his father, John, he loved playing the role of big brother. If you look at family photos, it's super easy to see that Alex loved his siblings, and he's always the one in the photos with his arms draped over them. He's embracing them as they, you know, very sweet and playfully try to pull away. He was active in their church and was always available to lend a helping hand. And John said that Alex was attracted to the, quote, unlovely, meaning like bugs and spiders and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful for him to do that because um, I don't personally, um, no. no. Not my jam. Um, but you know what? I'm glad that somebody is an advocate for the things that most people don't like. So Exactly. He would always seek out the things that people didn't like or care for and make sure that they were taken care of. It was Alex's overwhelming sense of wanting to help that drew him to Ezra and Jason. Ezra was going through some emotional problems, and Jason thought that Alex would be a great person for her to talk to. And he said that he talked with both of them and suggested that they try to help one another. Jason said that there were things in Alex's life that he thought Ezra could help with. And on the flip side, there were things in Ezra's life that Alex could help with. So win-win, right? Mm -hmm. It was after they met Alex and became close friends with him that Ezra learned that she was pregnant with Jason's child. And this was in the fall of 2017. On October 6, 2017, Ezra and Jason drove to Minneapolis to have the pregnancy terminated. When they arrived at the clinic, Ezra told Jason that she wanted him to leave and she didn't want him to see her go through it or see her in that condition. So Jason testified that he spent the day in Minneapolis just, quote, bumming around, riding the buses, exploring the city until he received a text from Ezra Ezra saying that she was ready to leave. After that, she and Jason remained together, but Ezra started kind of drifting closer and closer to Alex. And this is the point where Jason said he mentioned to each of them that they could talk to one another and help each other out. He said that Ezra was feeling a lot of guilt, trauma, and she was feeling very isolated. And I can, I cannot imagine going through something like that and it not taking a toll on you. Well, sure. I just wonder why Jason was like, why don't you talk to Alex about it? Well, what I got from it, and I could be completely wrong, but what I got from it was, I think Jason was trying to be there for her, but he didn't, it was like, well, I think Alex has more experience feeling these types of feelings. So maybe you guys can like lean on each other. Hmm. I don't know, but it is an interesting situation. But the way that I felt like he, what I got from him describing it was that he felt like they both had some shared past trauma and maybe they could bond over that or something. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's a very weird, just dynamic. All of it, yeah, is just a very strange dynamic. And like, I don't know. It just the whole thing is weird. I'm not at all trying to, and this is not me blaming Jason at all, but I do think that it's not crazy that the obvious next step might be that they, they're like kind of pushed together, they're bonding over something. So it's like an emotional affair-ish. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. So Eventually, the closeness became something more, and the two began having an affair. Andrea Nodoff, the Dunn County District Attorney who eventually prosecuted Ezra, said that from everything she's seen in the case, it seems like Jason has a very big heart, which allowed him to be manipulated by Ezra. 
One of Ezra's childhood friends, Julia Post, has said that that's kind of who Ezra was. She would manipulate people when she had to or wanted to, and ultimately, she was someone who craved attention from anywhere she could get it. All right. So in February of 2018, Jason had to leave Eau Claire for two weeks for military training, and before he left, he approached one of his friends, John Hansen, and asked him if he could keep an eye on Ezra. Not in a weird or creepy way, just to check in on her a couple times, make sure she was doing okay. I'm confused about Jason. I know. It's like, I I don't know how to say how I'm feeling. Did he trust her implicitly? So much so that he's like asking every guy that he knows to get close to, like, it's just kind of confusing to me. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's just- Is that crazy for me to say? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I don't, this is all kind of, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. Like, this is just a weird fucking relationship, I feel like. There's something weird about it. You know, if you just watch the, there's a 48 Hours episode on this case called, uh, what, The Case Against Ezra McCandless. That's exactly what it's called, yes. Jason seems like a completely normal, regular-ass person. If you read anything else on it, there's something weird there. Like, yeah. I just th- their dynamic, I, maybe he's not like this with everybody. I just, I don't know. It's weird. But yeah, like, I just, now, they lived together. And didn't John also live in the house? I'm or not John sure about was that. just a friend. John's just, I thought he was just a friend. Okay, so, yeah, so that doesn't make any sense. Like, if it was, like, a big roommate situation, be like, oh, okay, hey, you know, can you just make sure, like, she doesn't need any help with anything or whatever. Right. I still just don't even know that it's, like, if Andrew goes out of town, well, I call you to come stay with me because I'm scared. But, like, he doesn't do that. No. I mean, I could understand if you were if you were going through something very, very, very uh, painful or traumatic or something, he might be like, hey, Tori. Maybe, he but why in. John? That's what I, I'm not understanding because you know, she very well could have been going through, still reeling from everything that sure. she's been through. And it doesn't seem like the obvious person. But I mean, we only know what we know. So I don't know what kind of relationship they had with John before this. But like if he was like a really, really close friend, they were all super close and it made sense. But from where I'm standing, it doesn't make much sense for him to call John. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. And like they were just like they were friends. It didn't seem like Ezra was super close to John. Like, I don't know. But while he's gone, Jason gets a call from Ezra and she told him she was moving out of their apartment and she was going to move back in with her family in Stanley, Wisconsin. So when Jason gets home, he and Ezra kept in contact. They'd meet up sometimes. Back in Stanley, Ezra's family life wasn't the best. And on a few occasions, Jason would get a hotel for her to stay at so she could just get away from it. And then when she would stay in the hotel, he would come and stay with her. At one of these visits, Jason saw messages on Ezra's phone between her and John. And for a while, Jason had suspected that Ezra was cheating on him. And in fact, he knew it. Like, he ends up finding out about her and Alex and seems fine with that. Mm-hmm. He's like, I didn't say anything. I wasn't mean to either one of them. I listened to some like police interviews with him. I wasn't mean about it. I didn't say anything mean to them about it. I was still friends with both of them. You know, like I still, I still loved her and I still loved him as a friend and like all this stuff. So he like knows that she and Alex are fucking. Right. That's fine. But now he thinks that something happened with John and he gets super pissed about it. Yeah. So 
Ezra doesn't say that she and John slept together. She says that John assaulted her. And she says that, you know, they were drinking and he took advantage of her or whatever. But there are messages on her phone between her and John. Again, this is how Jason finds out about it. Uh, Terrell, you be Ezra. Okay. And I'll be John. That make it seem differently. So, are you going to pound this anytime soon? Sorry, I'm rude. Not this week. I have Warren. And we're assuming that Warren maybe is his child. It's all right to be blunt. Just got to be all right with it coming back your way. Okay. I feel. Yeah. Throw it at me. Bring it on. Mm -hmm. That if you are saying that this person sexually assaulted you and it was traumatic for you. Yeah. Are you then going to text that person? You going to pound this anytime soon? That is so crass and vulgar. And I love crass and vulgar, but it's just so like, how do you spin that to your boyfriend? Right. That this person assaulted you. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I think that that shows how manipulative she is. Yeah. Because Jason actually was the one who went and filed the police report against John initially. He was so upset about it. And he was like, you have to take this to the police. I cannot believe this guy did this to you. Can you imagine being John? I'm sorry. I mean, now, and I'm not saying that John and Alex don't have a part to play in this because they both know for a fact that Ezra's Mm -hmm. with Jason, right? Yeah. And they're supposed to be friends with Jason. (laughs) Supposed to be friends with Jason. But could you imagine, like, if it's consensual sex, which, from the text messages, sounds like it is, and is hopefully, as far as Ezra's concerned, going to continue. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine being John and being like, are you seriously? Mm -hmm. Like, we both agreed that we wanted to do this, and now you're saying that I took advantage of you and sexually assaulted you? Yep. Exactly. I know. It's, Yeah. So Jason ends up confronting both Alex and John at Racy's about their relationships with Ezra and the alleged assault. And Jason, um, so like they get in a really big public fight. So it's, this isn't just a love triangle. One of the, was it the detective or the... I think it was the DA. journal. The DA, the DA, it was the DA. She said, it's not a love triangle, it's a love square. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Because... And that's Ezra, y'all. That's Ezra. She's in a love parallelogram, I think. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Um, A, what are other A love rhombus. Yeah. (laughs) Rhombus. (laughs) But Jason told Alex, you're my friend. You know I love you. How could you do this? So Alex admits to everything. He apologizes when it finally all comes out. Jason and Ezra's relationship ended. But Ezra blamed Alex for this. Some sources claim that Jason ended the relationship. Some say that Ezra ended it with both Alex and Jason. I think according to Ezra, she broke up with both of them. You can't fire me. I quit. I don't know. In late February, she sends Alex a text message telling him never to talk to her again. And Alex respected her wishes. And he didn't contact her again after that. I mean. Okay. So Ezra and Jason would still talk in text. And Jason said that Ezra tried desperately to win him back. Jason said that she was, again, manipulative, took advantage of all three of the men in the situation. In her discussion with one of the detectives about 
John's, quote, sexual assault. Well, I'll say that in a second. Okay. So Ezra sent Jason journals talking about how she was sorry for betraying him and that she loved him. She would try to deliver him by them by hand, but he told her, look, if you want to send that, you need to do it any other way than in person. I, that's not a good idea. So when all of these allegations against John come out, claiming that he sexually assaulted her, she goes to the police, she talks to a detective, and the detective gets her side of the story. And she claimed that she and John were drinking and, quote, got a little tipsy. And then she says she blacked out. And that's when she believed that she was assaulted. So she says that she started throwing up. She said that they were all drinking. Like, she went out drinking with Jason's friends while he's gone or whatever. Fine, whatever. They're all drinking. And she says the guys are making fun of her being like, you can't keep up. And she's a small girl. Mm-hmm. You can't keep up with this. You can't keep up with us. So she's like, oh, yeah, and starts, like, pounding drinks. And then she's, she gets sick and she throws up, and so she goes upstairs to go to bed. And then she said she felt John get in the bed with her, and he was, like, trying to pull down her pantyhose, and he was trying to rape her and all these things. Of course, then, you know, she talks to the detectives and stuff like that. And she, of course— they ask her, because we we know these texts are on her phone, right? You're going to pound mm-hmm. this anytime soon, stuff like that. So the detective says, okay, well, hey, um, we want to look through your phone, and we want to get your phone records and stuff like that. Has he ever tried to contact you? She's like, yeah, he did contact me after that. And they're like, great. You know, we could probably have your phone downloaded in as little as 30 minutes. It might take an hour or so, depending on what kind of phone you have. It'll be done today. Is that something that you'd be willing to do? And she's like, no, I'm not really willing to do that. And I'll tell you why. It just makes me pretty uncomfortable because she she uses the word uncomfortable 100,000 times. It makes me uncomfortable because he did contact me after that, but it wasn't really about, it wasn't about the incident. So it's basically has nothing to do with it. He was just, and she uses stuff like that all the time. He was just talking to me about, you know, like regular stuff and like stuff like that. So it was just like regular stuff and stuff like that. And he didn't really talk about the incident and stuff like that. He just, he didn't talk about any of that stuff. So it really wouldn't be any point. Also, I deleted everything off my phone. And also we texted via an app, not actual like the messages part of my phone. And I've even deleted that app. So you're not going to get anything from it anyway. So I'm not comfortable with that. And stuff like that. And stuff like that. And they were like... Hmm. Well, they still got phone records and they found out that she was fucking lying. So, well, yeah, I think that the police were like, uh, sus. Uh, yeah. I mean, that do- that doesn't like. <clears throat> OK, if you wouldn't you want to have everything available to prove your case if you're ready to come forward about something like that? Like if if you're. Wouldn't you? I mean. I would. I mean, if is this going to help us? Like, I'm thinking about other cases, and of course, this is not, it's not the same, mm. but mm-hmm. do you remember what Allison Bota went through to oh. make sure that her attackers were, yeah. she had a her tracheotomy taken out, mm-hmm. Yeah, her trach, whatever you call it, trach tube taken out to mm-hmm. be able to, she had her, and all they're asking for is, hey, Ezra, can we just like take a little peep at your phone? And she's like, yeah. mm-hmm, no. I'm not no. comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable with that. Because she knows that they're going to find the text where she's like, hey, when can we fuck again? Yeah. I mean, her, you know, like. And then here, her story is completely discredited and it's all like exactly. crumbling. And yeah. Yeah. And they found it anyway. So 
They also spoke with Alex, though. And Alex did not corroborate Ezra's story of sexual assault. Alex said that Ezra had told him that she had consensual sex with John, but that she had regretted it. So they end up dropping the sexual assault. Oh. I knew that was, it it felt (laughs) not good coming out. The sexual assault. Charges. Yeah. They end up dropping the sexual assault charges that were being brought against John. And that's the end of that. Yeah, but okay. If John is still in the military Mm. and he's accused of sexual assault. Yeah. What does that mean for him? I mean, that's the thing, you know, like that's why investigations are important. It's much, much, much less likely that a person is going to lie about sexual assault, but it does happen. Right. And I am very much an advocate and I I will believe Take when it somebody seriously every single time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But there are terrible people who manipulate situations and make this like taint what is supposed to be a powerful you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. she's not helping anybody out by doing things like this. No, absolutely, absolutely not. She's yeah. only setting us back a million billion years where She's opening the door for people to be like, you see why you can't believe people Exactly, who... exactly. Yeah, and that's yep. not fair. Like, ugh. Exactly. Fuck off with this. So, yeah. let's go to March 22nd, 2018. And this was in, like any other day in Eau Claire. Jason had been going throughout his morning. He stopped at Racy's for some coffee. And while he was there, he looks up and guess what? Ezra's there. Hmm. I wonder how she knew he was going to be there. Mm-hmm. There every day, yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so she she goes back to Eau Claire and she's planning on moving back. And she was telling people that she was turning over a new leaf and she was going to get back to her old self again. So she told Jason she was taking her life back. She was becoming Ezra again. Because I and guess, in truth, I'm sorry, wasn't no no when she moved back home was she going by Monica again there? I'm not sure about that. I know that she had her name, obviously, like, legally changed. I don't know. I don't know if Ezra is this, it's kind of like, what was his name? Something super tramp um, that Chris McCandless, he, like, created this persona, right? Um, Alexander super tramp. I wonder if Ezra McCandless was that for her. And even though she changed her name, it was, like, this persona, this, like, feeling, you know? I just, I don't know this it kind of sounded to me like maybe that her family didn't refer to her as Ezra. They like that when she went home, she was Monica. And like Jason said, she did not like to be called Monica. Right. I mean, I don't know. But just her saying like, I'm taking my life as Ezra back. Yeah. Kind of, I just wondered, but. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but it yeah. makes sense to me. I don't know. Um, that We just yeah. got a bad review. Ooh. They don't know everything. well do you know what it's true so we don't know everything yes i'm here to tell you i don't know everything and if you assumed that i was smart and a know-it-all then that's your fault that's on you yeah i didn't i never claimed to be smart never claimed to know everything never claimed to to have good taste either so true yeah but anyway okay so she had been talking about driving back to Eau Claire, and her dad was like this is not a good idea and he tried to talk her out of it and he even hid her car keys from her But the bitch found him, and now she's standing there in front of Jason. And there's security footage, and people said that were there said that she seemed to be acting out of character. One server told the police later that she wasn't her usual self. Her clothes were disheveled. She was visibly agitated. And somebody else said, 
She wasn't wearing any makeup, and that is not normal for Ezra. Mm-mm. That'd be like me showing up somewhere without I makeup on. I was literally on. gonna say that. Yeah, girl. First thing I do when I get up, I order my Uber Eats to get my vanilla sweet cream cold brew delivered. <laughs> Lord willing, by the time I'm taking my morning crap, and then <laughs> just kidding. And then sometimes I don't. It's not a morning. I don't know. Anyway, and then um, I put my makeup on immediately. See, I don't. Today, I'm going sans makeup until I can't stand it any longer. It's like... It's so weird to me because you do, like... I feel like you're so much better at makeup than I am. And, like, you wear... Not that you wear a lot, but you, like, incorporate more color and you do, like, looks. Like, my makeup is the same every day no matter what the fuck I'm doing. Same. Just... Well... Standard. You always look beautiful. Let's get that, you know... Well, okay. Get that straight. Go ahead and jot that down. (laughs) But I think it's because it's... I put so much... Not that I put, you know what I mean? Like I, when I do it, I do a lot. And so sometimes I'm like, I just can't be bothered to do it today. Like, it's just, it's too much. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing the whole Dolly Parton thing where I've been sleeping in my makeup. That's why I got two zits on my face. Uh-oh. So I think that today it needs a breather. Plus it's going to be hotter than the devil's dick today. Yeah. And I'm not trying to sweat my mustache off. So I know I've been sweating my eyebrows off a little bit lately. Um, I'll look in the mirror and be like, damn, that's been smudged for I don't know how long. Mm-hmm. But also, we're going to the beach next week, and I guarantee you, like, I've tried so many times to wake up and be like, Torella, you don't need makeup at the beach. It's just going to fucking sweat off. It's just going to go gonna away. You ain't going to do it. You no, I, I put, I do my full, and then I'm like, let's just do, like, a little bit of, like, like a BB cream. Like, I don't even need foundation. And then I black out, and then I did full contouring, and I don't know. Yeah. You ain't going to do it. Yep. No. Okay, so let's get back to the case. We're done talking about our makeup routines. Yeah. So, but— she wasn't wearing makeup. This is highly unusual. It's it's a red flag to people. It's that right. unusual for her. Yeah, and if you watch the 48 Hours, I mean, not like I knew her or anything, but you see every picture of her, she's completely done up. Completely done up. Like, bold lipstick, um, the eyeliner, like all of the things, right? Yeah. And then they show the pictures of her when she ends up at Don Sipple's house. And it does, I'm like, who is this? Yeah. It does not look like her. And of course, she's, you know, at this point, we're, made to believe that she's been the victim of some kind of attack. But so you're not going to look like you if that happens, but still. Yeah. So the night before Ezra and Jason, they'd been texting back and forth. They sent over 600 messages to each other. That's a lot. There are people that I text a lot. Torella, I remember one day, not that we had been texting a whole bunch, but I called you like seven times that day. It was a Saturday. And I was like, I cannot stop talking to you. Even on a good day where I am so obnoxious that I can't stop texting, I don't think I've sent 600 text messages. Fuck no. No, fuck no. Fuck no. So she told Jason that she was going to see Alex to bring some stuff back that she needed to return to share some of her writings with him. And after they talked to her a little bit, Ezra leaves, but Jason said that when she left, she had, quote, fire in her eyes. He had a bad feeling about the whole situation. So Jason decides that he can't take anymore. He cannot ignore this feeling. So he jumps on his bike in March in Wisconsin. I don't even do that on a pretty spring day. He jumps on his bike and he rides to Alex's. But that's got to be like, you have to have this whole, I mean, just a pit in your stomach. Mm -hmm. He was right. Absolutely. I mean, his intuition is amazing. Like he was just like, there is something going on. There's something going on. But like, you can't tell the police that. You can't tell the police, like, I have a really bad feeling. Something bad is going to happen. They're like, cool. 
I mean, what can I do about that? This is a fucking minority report. Like, I was gonna say minority. Get out of my head today. Come on. I know. Like, it's just, it, it's just his, yeah, that intuition is just insane because he was so, so right. I know. And it's gotta be so, so such a bad feeling to be that helpless where you're like, I know something bad's gonna happen, but I can't do anything about it. But also I feel like he kind of, he thought that her being like, I need to return stuff to Alex was bullshit because she wanted to return a bookmark and a heating pad. That's what she brought to him, a single solitary bookmark and a heating pad. And they were like, could you not have just fucking thrown that shit away? Right. Gigi was not this way in, he's just not that into you, but similar situation where she just wanted to see the guy again. And then she brings him his favorite pen (laughs) and it's like from a dentist's office. And Justin Long's character is like, that's not his, uh, that's not his dentist. She's like, well, how do you know that? And he's like, because my dad's a dentist. (laughs) That's what she's doing, right? She's making an excuse to go over there and see him. That's all she's doing. Yeah. He's like, you're just trying to make up a reason to see him. Yes. Oh, I think, I I think he, his favorite bobby pin, it's his favorite bobby pin and I have to give it back to him. He, this is his favorite heating pad. It's the heating pad he, um, his grandmother, his great grandmother gave to him before she passed away. Right. Yeah. And he'd be really upset if he didn't have this. So watch somebody leave a comment and be like, my great grandmother gave me a heating pad and it is a, it is dear to me. (laughs) Oh gosh. I mean, I do have, um, it's a really killer horse bookmark. And so I can relate if I lost it, I would be pretty upset. So I'm just saying, I understand the sentimental value that certain things have, but that's not what we're talking about because it, She's making shit up. Everything that comes out of her mouth is not true. Just right. hands down. And guess what she gives me? And I'll tell you why later. Jody Arias vibes. A hundred percent. I've been, yes. Yes. But let's continue. So once he gets there, he sees Ezra's 2003 Chevy Impala, which you can't miss it because she's colored over all over it like That's a toddler true. with a crayon in their bedroom. Yeah. And... The car is still running. Music's still playing. The driver's side door is wide open. And he's like, I don't know what to do. So he said that for almost 45 minutes, he's just pacing back and forth. And then he walks into the front door. He doesn't even knock. Jason described the environment as tense. He said they were inside talking, but it was an intense conversation. And he says, quote, you could taste the tension in the air. He said that when he looked at Ezra and Alex, it was obviously them, but their faces looked different. He said that they looked like they were wearing masks of themselves. They were just emotionless. It was easy for Jason to see that something was going on, but they pretended like everything was okay. And that's when Jason suggested that they leave Alex's house and they go talk in a public place, hoping that in a public place, Mm -hmm. neither of them would do anything crazy to the other person. Yeah, which again is very telling that he he felt the need to get them into a public place. Like something is premonition. Yes. Yeah. So as they walked out, a police cruiser pulls up and a concerned passerby saw Jason pacing back and forth earlier and decided to call the police to have him checked out. Dash cam footage from the police car uh, shows officers talking to Alex by Ezra's car. She's already sitting in the driver's seat, but she can't be seen in the dash cam footage. Another officer is off camera. He's talking to Jason and Jason told him, quote, she gave me a vibe today, man. I don't know. It doesn't feel right. Something feels wrong. (laughs) Which... 
it just sucks because it's like he fucking knew something was going to happen. But as a police officer, you're supposed to be like, sorry, she gave you a weird vibe. Like, yeah. I don't know what to do about that. But, you know, we talked to everybody. Everybody says they're okay. Yeah. And also, like, it kind of, it almost sounds like, wow, somebody called just because he was, like, standing outside. But he was out there for fucking 45 minutes. And pacing back and forth. I mean, and that he, seems... Yeah, he stood across the street just standing there watching for, like, over a half hour. And then he moves to the front porch and he's pacing. So that's like another 15, 20 minutes. Right. People are like, the fuck is going on? Exactly. So the officers continued to speak with everyone and Ezra and Alex assured them that everything was okay. And the officer said, quote, I'd rather come here and check and it be nothing than have something bad happen. I mean, what else can you do? I know, but that's Everybody so says ominous. they're okay. I know. I, I know. know. It sucks. So after a bit, the officers were satisfied that everything and everyone was okay and they leave. Jason rode his bike to Ezra's car. They talk briefly. He talks to Alex briefly before Ezra drove away with Alex in the passenger seat. Just over three hours later, Ezra was on Don Sipple's porch. And when she spoke with police, she told them that she couldn't remember much. She said all she could remember was being afraid of Alex. And she told them she couldn't even remember her name, but kept giving them Jason's name to call. Yeah. I mean, you, and if you listen to the 911 call, you hear Don being like, what's your name? She's like, I don't remember. And I he's know. like, you know, and you know, this guy is feeling really, really sorry for it. Like, he's just like, oh my gosh, like she's been through something so traumatic and mm-hmm. yeah, making shit up, making shit up. She had three cuts on her hand, which weren't very deep. And she had the word boy cut into one of her forearms. She had scrapes near her underwear and scratches on her thigh and jaw, which were both gone a couple of days later. When questioned about the injuries, particularly the boy cut in her arm, she told them that Alex did it. Hospital staff was confused and concerned because it honestly seemed like her injuries were self-inflicted. And they're very, they're superficial injuries. They're very superficial. And when we hear what she told police actually happened, there's just no way right. that it could have happened the way that she says it did right. with her injuries being the way they are. Yeah. So police are like, well, we should probably find Alex and see what he has to say about all of this. So they look at his house. They look at his work, anywhere that he was known to frequent, and he is nowhere to be found. They reached out to his friends and family, hoping he had made contact with them and they might be able to point them in the right direction, but no one had heard from him. With no leads as to where he might be, they returned to Don Simple's farm. They were driving. They passed a dirt road with a gate on it that was unlocked and easy to pass through. So they stopped there. They looked up the muddy road and saw footprints. Hmm. That's just some good police work right there. Sure. They walked down the road and up a hill and used binoculars to look further ahead. And that's where they spotted Ezra's car. It was stuck in the mud with a body hanging halfway out of the back seat. When they get to the car, they confirm that the body was that of Alex Woodworth. The crime scene looked to them like Alex had been the victim of a brutal attack, and he had been stabbed 16 times in the head, neck, and groin. Mm-hmm. Which this also reminds me a little bit of um, Ellen Greenberg, mm. because he was stabbed in the back of the head. Right. And that was his first stab wound. Mm-hmm. And police use that to be like, well, then obviously he wasn't the aggressor. Right. But Ellen Greenberg stabbed herself 20, what was it, 18, 20, 23 times. Mm-hmm. Most of which in the back of the head. And oh. they somehow didn't come to the conclusion. Self-inflicted. That. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Okay. 
Investigators went back to Ezra and told her that they found the crime scene, and she told them that she can't... Now she's remembering stuff. So she Mm -hmm. said she stabbed Alex in self-defense, and this is what Ezra said about the situation. Alex grabbed her arm and started to cut the word boy into her her forearm. And he did this because it was a nickname of sorts that he used for her due to her history of trying different pronouns in high school. And police are like, "Eh -eh, this does not sound right. Because if that was the case, Alex, she says he's in the driver's seat at this time and she's Uh in the passenger seat. He's right-handed. So he would have had to reach across himself and carve it upside down because the word boy is visible to her. Like, If you're holding your forearm in front of you, you can read it from where she's sitting. So he would have had to do this upside down. And she would have had to hold perfectly still so that he doesn't, it doesn't move. And I mean, it's carved perfectly. Perfectly, exactly. When police push her on this, she was like, okay, yes, I cut it into my own arm. But she had no reason or response when they asked her why. Uh -uh. Ezra said that the two were in the back seat where Alex started to attack her, trying to cut her clothes off and sexually assault her. And she said during this, she grabbed the knife by the blade. Mm -hmm which gave her the cuts on her hand. And then she started to stab Alex to get off of her. And Mm -hmm. everyone who saw the cuts on her hand called bullshit on this because the cuts are only superficial. They are very shallow cuts. If she grabbed it, and this is a serrated blade, like it's got, yeah. If she grabbed it and used enough force to remove it from his hand, because there's a struggle, right? If Mm -hmm. she's grabbing it by the blade to try to get it out of his hand, there is no, I mean, she would have needed stitches she would have needed yeah these are more like scratches right than like yeah it's like if you accidentally like you know slice your hand a little bit with a knife and it's like it bleeds for a second then it's done like that's how deep we're talking here like it's not it's like every time I cut an onion and it skips on the onion and then Uh I cut my finger exactly yes So Ezra claimed that she started stabbing Alex in the car, but all the evidence pointed to him being outside of the vehicle when he was attacked. There was blood everywhere on the ground outside of the car. And when Mm -hmm. they looked at Alex's body, he had absolutely no defensive wounds. Mm -hmm. So police believe that Ezra attacked Alex from behind while they were outside of the car, and then she left him there. And to them, it looked like he had tried to climb into the car to get away. And he actually had a scarf that was wrapped around his neck, which investigators said it looked like he was trying to stop the bleeding Mm. from the the stab wounds. And one expert would testify and say that it could have taken upwards of half an hour for Alex to succumb to his wounds. And that if he received medical treatment in a timely fashion, he probably would have survived. Mm-hmm. When Ezra left him there, though, she took his phone as well. And it was smashed into smithereens. And she told investigators that she, while she's trying to walk down the road, right, to get help, she fell and it broke. She's carrying his phone. Mm-hmm. Where's her phone? Why is she carrying she his phone? She doesn't have a phone. She does not have a phone. Oh. Which doesn't she make any sense phone. because she was texting Yeah, yeah. Why Jason 600 times. Yeah. Right. So, and she's carrying his phone and she trips and falls and somehow smashes the phone, only the phone to smithereens. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Yeah. All of the evidence pointed to Ezra being responsible for the death of Alex and two weeks after the attack, she was arrested and she was charged with first degree intentional homicide. Okay, so... Bring us home, Torella, bring us home. Yes. Ezra's defense painted the picture of Ezra being a victim, right? They said that Alex was obsessed with Ezra and um, he was cold and calculating. He was manipulating Ezra into sexual acts that she did not want to participate in. At the trial, Ezra's story changed from what she initially told the police, though. She claimed that instead of grabbing the knife, because 
she can't say that anymore because it's simply not true, and they know it, she says, actually, you know what? I forget. I forgot. I need him in the groin. He dropped the knife, and that's when I picked it up and I started stabbing him just to get away from him. Like, I just stabbed him anywhere and everywhere I could to get away from him. See, and this is where when she's saying that he manipulated her and that he, it was cold, he's cold and calculating, like all these things. Mm -hmm. That's so Jodi Arias, it's not even funny. Yes, yes. Yeah, that she, and she said, I, I, in one of her um, interviews, she says this, I think about John Hansen, but maybe about Alex too, that she was like, because she says the same thing about John, that he manipulated her into having sex with him that night and mm-hmm. that she didn't want to. Right. And, you know, it's sexual assault and all this stuff. And she's like, you know, you know, he's telling me stuff like, my boyfriend doesn't even like me. My boyfriend doesn't want me. Um, who would ever want to be with me and stuff like that. And like making me, think that I should have sex with him. And then, and some of the stuff that I said on my phone, you know, that's why, like, I look back at that and it was just like, I was saying stuff that I felt like I had to. And I'm like, that's not me. Like somebody took my brain and like used it. Like, it's not me. That's why I don't want you guys to see the stuff on my phone. Like mm. <laughs> she, everybody around her manipulates her. Like, right. She's the victim, the perpetual victim. She is the one who who everything bad has been done to her. And I just, I was so mad when I watched the 48 hours because his family is there. They -hmm. talked to his dad and his grandfather and they said they were like, it's, you know, it's one thing to have to learn that your, your son has been brutally murdered, stabbed 16 times. And it's a whole nother thing to have to hear his name being drugged through the mud because she went on the stand and she said, He was into some really weird, messed up sexual things, right? Mm -hmm. And he forced her to do this. Mm -hmm. She wasn't into it, but you know. Yeah, and this is according to her that it was like messed up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, I mean, well, and the other thing is, okay, so Ezra says she wasn't trying to kill Alex, right? She just wanted him to get away from her. And the defense claimed that the shock and trauma from the attack caused her to black out, And while she was in this blacked out state, that's when she carved boy in her arm. But when she tells the police initially, right, she tells them this very long drawn out story about how Alex carved it in her arm. And they said, how how did he do it? And she, have you ever heard of a thing called tiger claws? No. Apparently it's like a self-protection kind of thing where it's like, it sounds like something you'd put like maybe over your fingers and then I don't, it sounds like Wolverine claws to me. You know how they come out? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's something that you're supposed to be able to use to defend yourself, I guess, in okay. a situation. She had that in her glove box. So, because they asked her, what did he use to carve this? And she's like, I don't know, one of the weapons from the glove box. And they're like, what do you one, mean, of, one of the, the weapons? weapons from she the had box. tiger claws in the glove box. She had a knife, a pocket knife in the glove box. She apparently had other stuff in the glove box, but she's saying that. She knows all of these weapons are there. We don't know if Alex knows all of these weapons are there, but she said she always traveled with all of the shit in the car because people would try to take advantage of her all the time. So she was trying to protect herself all the time or whatever. She's constantly being victimized, so she has all these weapons in the car. But, like, if you know that shit is there and he's making you that uncomfortable, you know what I mean? Like, how does he then get a hold of it? Right. And the tiger claws supposedly happened before the knife comes out? and you've got access to the tiger, and you held still for him to, like, just none of it 
makes any sense. And, you know, and she makes this long drawn out thing about it. But then on the stand, she says, I blacked out and I don't remember that part at all. Well, you told them that he got the shit out of the glove box. You told him he made you sit still while he carved this into your arm. And now that we know that that's not true and you admit that that's not true, now you've blacked out. Right. She uses her state of consciousness Mm. very... Conveniently. Yeah, conveniently. I mean, she just goes back and forth into, well, I don't remember that. Okay, well, yes, Mm -hmm. I do. No, actually, Mm -hmm. I don't. If you're going to disprove it, then I actually don't remember it. And what I feel like she's doing is she's jumping on things that obviously she's heard in around or in the media or whatever, like just her, her extreme overuse of anxious, anxiety, uncomfortable. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm uncomfortable with that. Like there are people who do actually, you know, go through things. And I feel like she latches on to little things that she feels like she can use to manipulate people. And she combines all of them. And so she's got this just like arsenal of manipulation that she uses because there are people who actually suffer from anxiety and, you know, and it's just like, it's awful. It is awful because she is taking, she's taking real life moments from survivors. Mm Mm-hmm that, you know, their testimony, their confession, their story. Mm -hmm. And then she's using it to make excuses or to get away Mm -hmm. with manipulating and murdering people. So, yeah. Yeah. Again, just like Jodi Arias, Mm -hmm. sitting there and saying how um, just all, all the stuff she said that Travis Alexander did, and then you actually hear her being like, that's so debasing. I love it. Like, Right. Well, and then she she takes it a step forward um, or takes it a step further. And I'm shocked that I could see Ezra doing something like this if she, if the jig, whatever. But Jodi Arias, the the most disgusting part of the entire thing is um, her making shirts for. Oh my gosh. Yep. Yeah. I can see Ezra doing that too. Survivors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Survivor. Yeah. Okay. Okay, But keep going because we got, we got a lot more to cover here. We do. The prosecution claimed that the attack was premeditated. Ezra had taken the knife used in the attack from her dad before she left for Eau Claire. It was in the console of her car when she went to see Alex. So either console or glove box, whatever. They said that Ezra had intended to kill Alex from the start. And again, remember, she was very, very out of character that whole day. Mm -hmm. Their theory was that as they were driving down the dirt road, the car got stuck in the mud. They got out of the car to see how bad it was. And when Alex's back was turned, Ezra attacked, stabbing him in the head and neck. They said that with his body being halfway out of the back seat, that he either tried to climb in to save himself from Ezra or that at some point she he managed to get in the back seat. And after the attack, Ezra tried to drag his body out but wasn't able to. Once Alex was dead, though, Ezra spent the next few hours. Mm-hmm. And remember, he could have been alive for a half hour after that. She's there with him as he's dying. Right. Not getting him help. And she's got a phone. And she's got a phone. And if he was, in fact, attacking you, he's incapacitated now. You can still call the police. Absolutely. She doesn't do that. And, of course, it wasn't—that didn't happen, but still. Well— But she spends the next few hours trying to rearrange evidence at the scene to support her claim that Alex had attacked her. And this is when she carves the word boy into her own arm. Mm -hmm. None of the stab wounds Alex suffered were fatal, meaning that, like we mentioned earlier, if he had gotten medical attention, he could have survived. 
likely, he could have likely survived. Mm-hmm. They called Jason to testify at the trial, and he recounted their relationship from the time it started up until he saw Ezra the morning of Alex's murder. In the 48 Hours episode, he said the whole time he testified was super weird. And you can see it. Ooh. Oh, yeah. He said that when he walked in, it was like Ezra locked onto him. She was like smiling him, smiling at him and not, she lit up like a Christmas tree when he walked in. Mm-hmm. And she was flirty. She was, fl- it was, it's very strange. And other people noticed it and they were like, okay, obviously she's still trying to get back with him. She was wearing a pink blazer, but at a certain point, she took it off, and she had this, like, green sweater underneath it, and Jason was like, okay, so she takes the blazer off purposely, like, and this green sweater is underneath, and he's like, I got her that green sweater when we were together, and he's like, I don't know. He was like, it was like she was overly attuned to me, and he was like, it was just so weird. I don't know what her tactic was, but it made me feel super uneasy. Mm -hmm. She, like— was like locking eyes with him. It it just, I don't know, it was really weird. When all was said and done, the defense and prosecution rested and it went to the jury to determine Ezra's fate. After only three hours of deliberation, everyone was called back to the courtroom. On November 1st, 2019, Ezra McCandless was convicted of first-degree intentional homicide in the stabbing death of Alex Woodworth. Dude, you should have seen, you guys should watch the 48 Hours episode. To just, I mean, all of it is very, very interesting. And I think it was a, a very well done episode because I, mm-hmm. I mean, I like 48 Hours. But the look on her face, she deflates completely because she thought she was going to get away she with it, right? Positive. She was positive. She was walking out of there that day. Yeah. And then as soon as the guilty verdict comes in, oh my gosh, you could have knocked her over with a feather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like also, I mean, I don't know, I guess just because of how many cases we've covered, like three hours deliberation, I'm like, oh, guilty. Oh, 100. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, that for such a quick deliberation, yeah. ain't no way. Typically, She's, yeah. 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 She was held at the Dunn County Jail until her sentencing date, which was February the 7th, 2020. That's a long time. Why why does sentencing take so long from trial? Well, and guess what? That was right around when COVID... No, COVID started... COVID was going February 7th, 2020. Yeah. So maybe that's part of the... I mean, I know it's like quarantine, but still, yeah. But I feel like it's always a few months. No, it it is. No, of course it is. Yeah. So one juror said that a deciding factor for her was that the stab wound to the head and that she said that that's where I stabbed him first. That's an intentional act to kill somebody, which, and remember, she kept saying, I didn't want to kill him. I was just trying to get away from him. But she stabbed him in the head first. Right. Which would have incapacitated him. Right. Most likely. When asked how she perceived Ezra on the stand, she said that Ezra did herself no favors on the stand. She said, quote, I would expect more more emotion, more something. The interviewer asked her if she expected remorse, and she said, yeah, yeah, definitely remorse. There wasn't any of that. No, there wasn't. No, there was no remorse at all. And Mm -hmm. in fact, she was smirking, smiling. She was doing all the things on the stand when she was being interviewed, examined, whatever, um, questioned. But listen to... (sighs) Yeah, you guys. Listen to the impact statement. Are your windows open? Yes. Oh my gosh. Fully torqued. Get them all the way open. Get them open. So at our sentencing hearing, Alex's family spoke of him fondly and gave their impact statements of how their life had been affected by his sudden and tragic death. But Ezra was also given the opportunity to speak. And uh, here's what she said. Again, window warning. Get it open. Hi. I would like to address your honor in the courts and Alex's family. Most of all, Alex's parents. I want to say... 
How sorry I am that they've lost their son. But sorry doesn't cut it in my mind. That word is not enough and will never be enough for this loss, and I recognize that. I don't think I could ever find words that will be enough to express this, especially to them. The pain they feel is unimaginable. I want to express how sorry I am for this loss because it is such a great loss. I recognize and completely acknowledge this pain, and I'm so sorry. I loved Alex very much, and I also feel a great loss, and I am so sorry. And thank you for letting me say this. Thank you. Bullshit. And I also feel a great loss? Mm-hmm. How can we make it about me? Well, and let's, I mean, exactly. Let's let's talk about the about face that she, the complete about face that she did. She was not remorseful. She didn't give a shit. She was smiling. She was smirking. It was like almost like she was completely calm, but it was like she was having the best day of her life when she's on the stand and when she's just in court in general. Exactly. Then she gets the verdict that she is not expecting. And now all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. she feels sorry. But you know who she feels sorry for? Herself. Exactly. That's what she's doing here. Yeah. But she's saying the words that, because at this point, she's still thinking, this is my Hail Mary. Hopefully, I can. I'm sorry to make a baseball reference. Um, But... (laughs) Right? Hail Mary Pass. That's what... But anyway, so... Are you being serious? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's football, but I'm not totally sure. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's like, this was was her last chance at a touchdown. And again, sorry to make a basketball reference, but... Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got to bring the sports ball into it. I know. I know. Exactly. But she's like, maybe if I just turn on the charm, try to sound a little remorseful and Mm -hmm. teary-eyed and super sad, that they're going to be like, oh my gosh, you know what? to go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That She literally thought that's what was going to happen. Yeah, because guess what? She's a master manipulator. She thinks yeah. she is. Yes. So. so after her statement, the judge started to explain how sentencing works in Wisconsin. And he said, normally the courts consider probation, but that wasn't applicable in this case. Since Wisconsin is not a death penalty state, that was also not in play. So he then explained how in the past in Wisconsin, a person sentenced to life would have to serve around 13 years, and then they would be eligible to apply for parole to a parole board. And, you know, she's like, okay, 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 13 years. And he said, on average, people would serve 18 to 19 years of a life sentence at that time. He next went into how he... Oh, I'm sorry, how the state started to get tougher on crime after that and referenced, quote, life means life, meaning that a life sentence should be just that. After that, it turned to the courts determining when someone would be eligible for parole. It changed again after that, and the people became eligible to petition the courts for extended supervision release. It's similar to parole and that the person is supervised while released and has to maintain several things to remain free. The judge laid out three options. One, Released to extended supervision after 20 years. Two, eligible to be released on extended supervision on a date set by the court. Or three, no eligibility for release to extended supervision. As he spoke, he... Oh. (laughs) What was he spoke in about? Why why did I... Why? Why? Um, And as he spoke... (laughs) As he spoke... He mentioned that uh, what many were thinking, that Ezra's statement seemed insincere. And he made it a point to tell her that. He then sentenced her to life in prison with the ability to petition for release after serving 50 years. Mm -hmm. You know that he knew. Mm -hmm. 
that she was going to hear him explaining this and be like, oh, he's about to go super fucking light on me. He's about Mm -hmm. to go super fucking light on me. 13 years, okay, that sucks, but I can handle it. And then he's like, so sometimes, you know, you you would do 13 years, maybe 18, 19 total, not for you, bitch. Mm -mm. Some people, but not for you. I'm not doing that. Exactly. Yeah. His reasoning was that if in 50 years she applied for release, Alex's parents would most likely be deceased and they wouldn't have to live through the heartache of seeing her possibly be released. Oh my gosh. That is so powerful to me. Yeah. Ezra is currently incarcerated in Fond du Lac, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. There's an Instagram account that is run by her mother that sells her artwork to help fund her appeals. Why? Why is that happening? Yeah. 24-year-old Alex Woodworth was laid to rest in Dresser, Wisconsin, in the Peace Lutheran Church Cemetery. (sighs) What a butt munch. Oh, my God. A complete, total butt munch. She is, yeah. Yeah. She's a lint licker, too, by the way. But Mm -hmm. why do we think she killed him? What was the motive? We didn't talk about a motive. (sighs) No. I feel like, because if she was moving back, I think she had this idea that she was just going to go back to being with Jason, maybe. And yeah. to her, Alex stood in the way of that. I, I completely agree. All roads lead back to Jason. And I think mm-hmm. that that was, like, all she cared about, in a sense. And so she's like, I got to remove all speed bumps or mm-hmm. roadblocks to get to Jason. Yeah, because I think she—I kind of feel like she thought she could manipulate him the easiest— Yeah. You know, she burned a bridge with John because she tried to get him arrested. Yeah, that'll do it, yeah. That'll do it. She burned a bridge with Alex with all of this stuff. I think he was pretty much done with her. Well, and she told him, I never, never contact me ever again. And he was like, you got it, dude. Yeah, exactly. Like, fine by me. And I think that, I don't know, I think because Alex also knew that she had consensual sex with John. Right. I don't know. I think it's just like if Alex is around, it jacks up her chances of making Jason believe everything that she wants him to believe. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I could not agree more. And I just thought it was, I mean, we we didn't talk about motives. Yeah. Thought, yeah. You know? And it's just very interesting. I mean, she, she went there that day to kill him. Mm-hmm. Like she knew that's what she was going to do. 100%. Otherwise, she wouldn't have brought brought an arsenal of weapons in her glove box or her console. Mm-hmm. And she, and again, like, she didn't wear the makeup. She was very, very agitated, very out of character. Mm-hmm. There was just everybody who came across her that day. I mean, to the point that Jason was like, there is something wrong. I'm going to bike to his house and make sure everybody's okay. Yeah, and once I mean she she encountered Jason at at, um, at Alex's house, and he's like, "Y'all need to go somewhere public." And then she's like, "Perfect, I'm going to take him into the middle of the woods." Yeah, on, on a dirt road where there's nobody mm-hmm. around. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, this was premeditated AF. It's just ridiculous to me that mm-hmm. she thought that <laughs> everyone was dumber than her. And the- yeah, and so fucking senseless. So senseless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, get a different boyfriend. I mean... Move on. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like, uh, just the obsession that she had was, yeah. was just appalling. Take responsibility on yourself. Like, you had this person that you talked about marriage with mm-hmm. and that you were like, you know, and now you're like, well, I went and fucked it up, but... Oh, she fucked it all the way up. 
Yeah, like she literally like banged everybody he was friends with, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And then wondered why he didn't want to be with her anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, that'll do it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. She's not Jay-Z. Mm. <laughs> Just gave, gave me one more chance and I fucked her again. <laughs> oh, man. You got to love a Jay-Z lyric, though. Oh, um, yeah. 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 Well, guys, that's that's it. But, you know, let us know what you think about the case. Do you, what do you think the motive was? Do you agree? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, what do you think about her selling, her mom selling her artwork? I can't. I cannot. I can't with that, yeah. But, yeah, just let us know what you guys think. And we hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you so much for listening. We love absolutely every one of you. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Okay, you guys, it is shout out time, but I think it's more appropriately um, should be named We're Gonna Butcher Your Name Time. <laughs> exactly. Oops. So sorry. Here we go. Here we go. Hey, girl, thanks to Jennifer Dolquist, Hope Jones, Shayna Ibral, M, Stacy Kurz, Monica Castaneda. Chloe Power, or Chlo, if you're Tori. Shut up. <laughs> Emmy Koziak. Tabitha Lambert. Amy Parker. Ariella Kellyas. Brent Hayes. Hallie. Lindsay Ryder. Amanda. Heather Russell. Oh, yep. That's a better way to say it, I bet. Morgan Small. Mary Alice Clayton. Sarah Meiske. Bree Jones. Cheyenne Caloro. And Autumn. Thank you guys so much. If you want uh, your name to get butchered, then join our Patreon at $10 or higher. You get tons of episodes, all of them ad-free, and we can fuck your name right up. Yay. Thank you. We love you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 